I suppose it's like today, like no other day or service of the year, the sense and the feeling that I get about you is that you are not here out of tradition, and you are not here because it's what you normally do. You're here because you understand the significance of what Jesus Christ did for you, and you long to worship him, and you long to gather with God's people. It's thrilling to think that all over the world today, as the, as the earth turns past the sun all over the world, millions of people who revere and who esteem and who worship Jesus Christ are pausing now to think about his death. I was asked before we came, so dad, how do you dress for a good Friday service? Isn't that a great question? Do you, is it a somber matter? Do we mourn? Are we dressing to mourn? And you know, you might think that. You might think, oh yes, Good Friday is a day that we mourn, but do not be confused about this. We are sober today. We are serious today, but we are not mourning today. We don't mourn the death of Christ. We glory in the death of Christ. That's what the Bible teaches us. We don't mourn and grieve I mean, there's a little secret. We don't want to let it out of the bag too early. Come back on Sunday morning. There's more to the story. But for now, we think about the death of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is sobering. And it is serious. But we are not, we are not mourning. There's a triumph of the gospel that's appropriate. The gospel is the story of Christ and his death and burial and resurrection and there is a story of the gospel that just keeps making its way around the world, changing lives. Talk to a lady here that was on our property right now. She's here with us right now. And she told me, I've been in recovery for, and I forget the number of years that she told me, 18 years. 18 years of recovery from drug and alcohol abuse. I said, we want to get a program like that started here in our church, a recovery program for people that are struggling with drug and alcohol abuse. And she said, that would be great, but it was Jesus who set me free. <laughs> and, and Jesus used recovery programs. It's just wonderful. That's the kind of thing that Jesus does. I made a little quick trip yesterday to South Bend, Grand Rapids, and back. And South Bend because we have a new grandson, and I lost my wife there. And uh, I don't know how that happened. But anyway, so we, we celebrated there. But there's a guy on the couch. And the guy that's sitting on the couch holding my grandson and not letting go of him, thank you very much, for me to hold him, was a guy who is uh, studying, uh, he's working on his Ph.D. at Notre Dame. And he's working on his Ph.D., he's a bright kid, working on his Ph.D. at Notre Dame in economics. But here is his purpose. He wants to go into a closed country where the gospel has not taken root, he wants to take the gospel to a closed country and he wants to earn his own way. Here's a young guy who's obsessed with this message of the cross. He's not mourning the death of Christ. He's celebrating the death of Christ. He's not shy about the gospel. He's going to make it known. Sitting next to him was a girl, a lovely young girl that he called his super friend. Whatever that is. His super friend. Just an outstanding, beautiful, outgoing Christian girl. And she said, I've been a year in college, but God has just been scrambling up my heart. And I want to apply to Moody Bible Institute because I want to go to the mission field. And I want to go to a mission field where Christ is not known. There are young people 
still whose hearts are being captured by this story of the death of Jesus Christ. We celebrate the death of Jesus Christ. We glory in the death of Jesus Christ because of its place in the gospel and because we so desperately love him. Then I went to Grand Rapids and I spoke for Daniel's uh, pastoral class. What's it called? Intro to Pastoral Ministry. Pretty cool class. And I wondered, I mean, are these guys going to be yahoos? Are these guys going to be serious? Are these guys going to be goof-offs? Are these guys have a passion for the gospel? And so I go into the class, and I assess this, and I put my spirit on their spirit. You ever do that? It's kind of like I'm doing with you right now. Yeah. And you just kind of go, are these guys for real? And you know what my spirit told me? My spirit told me every one of those guys had been capped. Do you think I'm right? You, you hang out with them all the time. My spirit told me every one of those guys, that we went around the table, we talked to those guys, here are young guys who love Jesus, who love the gospel. They don't mourn the death of Christ. They are serious about the death of Christ. They're eager to proclaim the death of Christ. There are young people in our world, and thank God there are old people like us in our world too, that are thrilled that Jesus Christ died. Why is it we're so thrilled about that? Well, there are a lot of reasons. You could just go through the Bible and you could just cherry pick all kinds of reasons. I made a little list for myself of six of them. I could have told you a whole bunch more. For instance, we're in bondage to sin before Calvary, right? We're enslaved to sin before Jesus. Whether you know this or not, you were enslaved to your sin. But because of Calvary, he set you free if you believe in him. That'd be a good reason. That was the amen point right there. Yeah. The, uh, here's another example. And we talked about this before, and it was in our musical the other night. Before a Calvary, you are in a debt to sin you cannot pay. Am I right? You agree with that? Yeah. Anybody here think you can earn your way to heaven? That was my trick question for the day. Yeah. No, you can't. You're in such debt, you could never pay your way out of the debt you owe God. And Calvary means Jesus came from heaven and he paid the debt for our sin. So we celebrate that. We don't mourn. We're serious. We're sober. But we celebrate, we glory in the death of Christ because he set us free, because he paid our debt. Here's another one. Have you ever sensed a a crushing Almost like drowning sense of guilt and shame when you think about things you've done in your past that maybe very few or anybody knows, but you know it and God knows it and you think there's just no way out of this. The way of Calvary is the way out of guilt and shame. So these are just some of the reasons that we don't mourn the cross, the death. We celebrate, we glory in the cross. Here's another one. There's a sense of crushing sorrow. That comes to people, and sometimes it's inexplicable. Like, why am I unable to capture this happiness that I desire, that it seems like should be there for me, but I can't? But then, in some odd way, when we see this sorrowing man die and shed his blood and be tortured, somehow this joy creeps into our soul. The man of sorrows dies to give us joy like nobody else could ever have. How powerful, how wonderful. That's why we don't mourn today. That's why we celebrate and we glory in the death of Christ. Because like nothing we've ever seen, he can put joy in our soul like nothing else. There's another thing. You ever have a sense of loneliness or alienation? And that's very appropriate. 
Because our sins, you know this, they alienate us from God. They come between us and our maker, our creator, our lover. And you know our sins, they're the things that come between us and the people that we love and we long to have a relationship with. And the cross of Jesus Christ alone can bridge the gap there and bring us back to people that we have things that have come between us. And so that's why we come back and back and we have communion and we have baptism and we have gospel preaching because we have that sense of alienation and it's the cross that makes it possible for that loneliness to end. And there's one more, hopelessness. Hopelessness. It's like, you know, the empty life kind of feeling. Like, what am I doing here and what's this all about? Nobody who really understands what Jesus Christ did on Calvary can possibly have an an ongoing sense of hopelessness because we understand the great story that arches over all the stories of our lives. And that great story is the story of redemption. It's the story of Christ. It's the story of hope, God who cannot lie promised us eternal life and hope. This is what God said. So these are some of the things, but they're not the one I want to talk about today. You thought I was done. One, two, three, four, five, six. No way. This is Good Friday. I'm on a roll here. No, this is the one I want to talk about. It's found in the book of Revelation. You got your Bible, you can look there, Revelation 12. And this is an example in Revelation 12 of something that's going to happen, we believe, in a time called the Great Tribulation. It'll be time in the future. And so it's a time when Satan, and and this is like a picture from heaven of what's going on. Now, you and I, you know, we see the earth and what's going on on earth. We watch the news. We listen to people. The God-ignoring culture that we live in, it's as if there is no God. But in heaven, everything is seen from a heavenly perspective, and there's this cosmic conflict between Satan and the people of God. Satan knows his days are numbered, so he's very dangerous, and he's very angry. And so in an illogical, irrational, kind of homicidal, kind of demonic hatred, Satan is going to pour out wrath on the people of God. Can't get to Jesus, wants to get to Jesus' people. He hates you, and he hates God's people. He hates all people. And so he wants to damage them and destroy them. And there's this like apocalyptic, kind of symbolic pictures and language. It would make really great kind of sci-fi genre movie thing. And you have this dragon that represents Satan. And you have this woman that represents the people of God. You have this conflict. We don't have time to go into big deal, but come back every Sunday. I promise to teach you all these things. And so here you have this conflict. And it's a really bloody conflict. And it's a really dangerous conflict. But in this bloody, dangerous, vile conflict between God and Satan and God's people and Satan... We learn something about what Satan is doing right now. Even though this is pictured in the future, it kind of points back to what the devil's doing right now. So you might want to know what the devil's trying to do to you right now. And here, if we look in the passage, it's in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 7. War broke out in heaven. Michael and his archangels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. This is, you know, sometimes we read Revelation and we go, man, I don't get all those symbols. Well, this symbol is defined very clearly. It's the devil. It's Satan. It's the one who deceives the whole world. He deceives people in order to destroy him. 
He was cast into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. And then verse 10 says, listen to this. And then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Do you like that? (laughs) The accuser of the brethren who continually and incessantly blackmails God's people is going to be silenced someday. Now, if you got a background like I do, you got a checkered past like I do, that's really good news. You know? If you're not like puffed up with a sense of self righteousness, that's really good news. If you have a crushing weight of a burden of guilt and shame in your past, friend, that's good news. Because you know what happens? Satan whispers in your ear, right? You know what this is like. He says, go ahead and do it. It's not a big deal. Go ahead and sin. It's a trifle. And then after you do it, he says, scurries right to the throne of God and accuses you before God. The moment that you cave into temptation, he accuses you before God. He's the continual day and night accuser of the brethren and the sisters. Not good. On the Scottish border many years ago, there were these brigands, there were these bad guys that would kind of prowl the Scottish-English border. And because they were lawless and because they were kind of a law unto themselves and because they didn't have funding from a government, they would operate by raiding these villages and farms and so forth. So they would come to a village and to a farm and they would say, you know, we're going to take your maidens and we're going to take your cows and your sheep and your chickens and pigs and stuff like that because we're bad guys. Unless, of course, you make it worth our while. But if you make it worth our while, we'll leave your maidens and your cows and your chickens and your stuff alone. And so people would pay them money. This money was called black rent or black mail. Black mail. Either you give me this or I take what I want. Satan is the king of blackmail. His accusing of the brethren, you understand, is cosmic blackmail. And if you're like I am, that makes you shudder to think about it. Because you have things in your past you're not proud of. Things in your past that you're guilty about. Things that you're ashamed of. And I will just tell you this, if you have any spiritual sense, you have a sense of that shame and that guilt. And Satan has every right to blackmail you. David Letterman, remember what happened with David Letterman a little while ago? Poor guy. Didn't ever like David much anyway, to be honest. But anyway, he got himself in a bit of trouble because he was philandering about and fornicating and committing adultery and so forth. But somebody was following him, and they left a little note in his car said, if you give us $2 million, we're not going to tell on you all this stuff that we know about you. And in the weirdest way, I, watch, I don't like watching David Letterman because like I told you before, I'm not a big fan. But I just happened to notice when he came on his own program to kind of worm off the hook of blackmail. So he literally comes on his program. Did you guys see this or do you want to admit it? No. We outed you for the lottery Sunday and now we're talking David Letterman here. Here, here he is, you know. He gets on the thing and he goes, this really bothered me when I got this blackmail notice for $2 million. It really bothered me. For two reasons. Number one, somebody was following me when I didn't know it. And that kind of freaked me out. And second, it was true. And the first time in my life I really identified with David Letterman right then. I thought, I know how that feels. Satan isn't telling lies about you. (laughs) He's telling the truth. He doesn't have to lie about you. 
because you are a sinner and you have done shameful things and you're born in sin. You started out far from God and then you confirmed that you were far from God by sinning on top of the fact that you're a sinner. You're in serious bad shape and Satan loves to blackmail you before Jesus. How do you overcome this? This is a serious problem, would you not agree? How do I overcome cosmic blackmail against my soul and I know I'm guilty and he's got this torque over me and, I, and he owns me and he can just tell me what to do and he can drag me back into shame and sin again. How can I ever overcome this? The answer is the blood of the Lamb. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony and because they loved not their lives unto death. That's pretty cool. You want to read that in the Bible? Look down in the Bible in the Revelation chapter 12 and look at verse 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. By the blood of the Lamb. That's language that points directly to the cross of Jesus Christ. That's what it's talking about. That's the song in heaven. They're singing about the death of Jesus in heaven. They're not mourning the death. They're serious about the death. They're sober about the death of Jesus. But for all eternity, people in the know will be singing about the death of Jesus Christ, the slain lamb whose blood was shed so I can have the Holy Spirit, whose blood was shed so I can be forgiven of my shame and guilt, whose blood was shed so I can be set free of the bondage of sin, his blood was shed so I can have eternal life, his blood was shed to end the demonic cosmic blackmail against my soul. Never again can Satan accuse me because Jesus shed his blood for my soul. I don't say to Satan, I didn't sin. I say to Satan, I sinned, but Jesus Christ cleansed me from my sin. That's why we're here today. We're glorying in that truth, that truth of the cross. You ever have a really good day? Everything just goes great. Get up in the morning and your wife decided she's going to make you bacon and eggs. It's like, what is this, a holiday? You go downstairs and have that. You go off. Everything goes perfectly. You get a raise at work and everybody brags on you. And you get home and your children are well behaved. And they're waiting at the door with your slippers and your pipe and so forth. And so you come in and they just like fawn over you. And by the time you get... You don't smoke a pipe. I'm just kidding, okay? This is the kinds of things we do to keep you awake, yeah. So you go up to your bed at night, and before you go to sleep, you're going to pray. You get down on your knees, and you go, God is going to listen to me today because I'm hitting on all eight cylinders, man. It's just a great day. I witnessed the people at work. I got a raise. He's going to listen to me today. And you just pour out this beautiful flowery prayer, and then you just pillow your little head like, yes, God loves me because I'm a good guy. But what if you wake up the next morning and you have a tummy ache and your wife went to an early meeting and the the house does not smell like bacon and your car doesn't run and the people at work treat you like they normally treat you and your kids ignore you and your dog hates you. And what do you do then? You go up and before you get in bed at night, you go, God, I know I'm a bad person and I don't deserve anything. Now I lay me down to sleep, bless the missionaries. (sighs) Boom, you go to sleep. Now, which of those is right? Ah, trick question. Neither one. Because you understand, we don't go and pray to God on the merits of us. We go and we pray to God on the merits of Jesus Christ. Good day, bad day, the blood's over the door. Heard this little story. Pass on my version to you. Here's a couple of guys many thousands of years ago in ancient Egypt. They're, they're not Egyptians. They're, they're Hebrews. 
and they're at the end of the great plagues. Remember the stories of all the great plagues, the lice and the flies and the frogs and the blood and all of that. And at the end, what's the big one? It's going to be the Passover. The firstborn's going to die. And a couple of guys are having this conversation. And, you know, I'm glad I have the blood on the mantle. I have my blood on the doorpost and the lentil. I'm glad that blood is applied because God promised if I apply that blood there, then the firstborn's not going to die. And the other guy, how about you, he says. And the other guy says, I applied the blood too, but I'm scared to death. I'm just hopeless with worry. Well, I only have one child, my Charlie. He's my firstborn. He's all that I have. What if it doesn't work? He says, you did apply the blood, didn't you? Yes, I did, but what if it doesn't work? And he's all scared. The one guy, he's all enthusiastic, and he's happy, and he's confident. The other guy, he's applied the blood, and he's frightened, and the death angel passes over, and who dies? Which of these boys die? Neither one. Why? Because the death angel's not looking on the confidence, your confidence in the blood. He's not looking on your joy in the blood. He's looking on the blood. Do you see the importance of that as we approach this? Our standing before God does not depend on whether or not we had a good day or a bad day. And our standing before God does not depend on how we feel about the blood. Our standing with God depends on the blood and of the righteousness and on the death of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who set us free. And he delivered us from that dark, filthy, demonic bondage of cosmic blackmail. Doesn't make you want to praise him today. Doesn't make you want to thank him. Does it make your heart beat fast with gratitude and love? We have a tradition. It's not just a tradition. It's a, it's a commission. It's a promise that Jesus made to us and he pulled us into. Christian people. Jesus asked them, you know, I'm going to go away. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. One day I will return. But between now and then... I want you to regularly gather as Christians and I want you to remember my death until I return. And today, we remember with reverence, we remember with joy, serious joy, serious joy, not mourning, joy, glory, reverence, thanksgiving. We remember that our only hope is that the blood is over the door and that Jesus Christ died for for our sin. If you don't get that, we'll pray that the Holy Spirit will just like turn the lights on and and your mind and spirit will be enlightened to that truth and you'll be changed forever. This is the communion observance, that we commemorate Christ's death, we symbolically portray the death of Christ this body that was broken for us, represented by the bread that he broke in the night before when he's betrayed, and his blood that was shed, we call you to meditation. If you know Christ as your Savior, and you're confident that you know him, we welcome you. If you're on your way to Christ, then just observe, watch, pass things by, and there will come a day when in your heart you know where you stand with the Lord, and you participate then. For now, The the most reverent thing you can do is not participate. Just pass it quietly. Nobody's paying attention to you. Take the element. Think about God. Pass it to the next person. But if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, your faith, your trust, your confidence is not in your righteousness but in his, then we welcome you to 
the Lord's table. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we thank you that you sent your son Jesus. We've been thinking about this all day. And we never want to stop thinking about it. We're a part of this great gospel movement that started with you and it will and will 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 keep echoing throughout eternity. We will always be singing about it. We will always be praising you for it. And today I pray in the room here that we would be able to enter into that thanksgiving that we've been delivered from that cosmic blackmail. And I also pray, Lord, for anybody outside of Christ that they would just be drawn magnetically into Christ today. Amen. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. All of us in some way or another have felt the sting of death in our lives and, and, the, and the weight of sin in our lives. And Jesus' death was the death that would eventually end all death. And his bloodshed is the bloodshed that will eventually end all bloodshed. In Revelation chapter 1, the, here's the introduction, part of the introduction. From Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins with his own blood. <laughs> They're going to sing in heaven. We are going to sing in heaven. And uh, Revelation 5 says it like this. They're going to sing a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain and you have redeemed us to God by your blood. It's currently singing in heaven. There's going to be singing in heaven in the future, we're going to be singing glorying in the cross for all of eternity. You are worthy to take the scroll. Open the seals. You were slain. You've redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and made us kings and priests to God and we shall reign on the earth. By the blood of Jesus Christ, by his death on our behalf. And so they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. And by the word of their testimony, the testimony about Jesus, the gospel. That's what we overcome with, the gospel. Most of you are Christians. And I charge you as a pastor to take the gospel and go use it. Go use it. Remember? Pray and Invest and love and invite and proclaim and find somebody who doesn't get it and help them get it. And if they don't want to hear it, love them until they want to hear it. And if they never want to hear it, they won't die unloved that a Christian didn't care. When you take the drink that's symbolic of the blood of Jesus Christ, then you're saying that means the world to me. They loved not their lives unto death. That's, what, that's how we overcome him. How do we overcome that blasphemous blackmailer? The blood of the lamb. The word of our testimony about Jesus. 
and a willingness to live a serious life, even die for Jesus Christ. So in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. If you're like I am at a time like this, your heart just bursting with desire to serve him. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul and my life and my all. We've arranged something warm and beautiful for you. And that is to invite somebody to a breakfast to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There I said it. I let the, let the secret out early to celebrate the resurrection on Sunday morning. And that would be a, a sweet way for you to say, hey, come, let's eat breakfast together. And just enjoy being with people who, who kind of know what's right side up and what's upside down. And then after that, we'll gather in this room for just this, this great celebration, joyful singing. I, I may even preach. I don't know, you know. And, uh, but I promise if God gives me a heartbeat, on Sunday, and I'm able to make Christ known in story, I will be telling the stories and the story that I will never stop telling as long as the Lord allows me to tell it. So bring other people to hear it because it can change their lives. I'm going to pronounce a benediction. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son, our Savior, the Creator, Jesus Christ, the slain lamb who shed his blood so that we could be justified before God, so that we could have the indwelling Holy Spirit, so that we could understand the joy of the Lord, so that we could be delivered from the bondage and the guilt of sin, so that we could have our sin debt paid, so that we wouldn't have to live in shame, sorrow, and brokenness, and so that the accuser of the brethren would one day be silenced forever, that he could never blackmail us before your throne again. Thank you for that. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.